Hi and welcome. We're so excited that you chose to join us today. And we hope that this message will inspire you to live the life that God designed you to live. For this message or others like it, you can go to our website or you can find us on our YouTube channel. Now sit back, relax, enjoy this message. World compassion empowers the local church in nations hostile to the gospel. It's why we cross oceans, cultural barriers, and unsafe borders to share God's unconditional and life-changing compassion and love. Our work in Iran is one of the most challenging programs we have. Believers in Iran are imprisoned, harassed, discriminated against, and even killed. And yet people in Iran are hungry for Bibles. We have shipped over 75,000 Bibles to Iran, and Christianity is growing exponentially each year. Few countries in the world are more heavily influenced by Buddhism than the nation of Myanmar. We spent years translating and developing our ABC Discipleship and Leadership Program into the Burmese language. Over 800 students have had the opportunity to study our ABC material through their local church, helping them develop into mature leaders who know God's Word and how to confidently reach their communities with the Gospel. World Compassion has also equipped a local pastor in his church to start and operate an orphanage that is home to 53 children. Together, we are creating a safe place for children to grow up in a strong Christian environment that will make a lasting impact on the next generation. Today, China is seeing some of the worst persecution since the Cultural Revolution. Pastors we work with in China have been threatened by the government, their churches raided by police, and many have been put in prison. We work in the underground church to raise up new leaders and help provide materials and training that strengthen believers throughout the country. Thousands of people are coming to Christ every day. Our two training programs, the ABC Discipleship Curriculum and China Mission School, or CMS, are ways we meet the need of church leaders across this vast nation. World Compassion has already equipped over 3,500 trained leaders across China, with over 3,600 more currently being discipled. In the last 60 years, many churches in Cuba were forced to close. Property was seized, and the faithful have continued meeting underground, with believers meeting in garages, living rooms, and back patios to dig into the Bible. World Compassion is currently helping to plant a number of churches and build the homes that will serve as house churches for new believers and Christians in the underground church. Our work in Iraq since 2003 has built a network of relationships that have allowed us to offer aid during the most extreme humanitarian crisis of our era. The Syrian civil war and the violence of the Islamic State have caused millions of refugees to flee their homes, many of them women and children. In Iraq, we hold a legacy of providing aid to those in desperate need and working with government leaders to protect and advance the rights of Christians living in the nation. Each World Compassion Program is specifically designed to reach people for Jesus in nations hostile or restricted to the gospel. Together, we are equipping the church on the front lines of the Great Commission we all share. Good morning. What a beautiful Sunday morning in Minnesota and corn growing everywhere. Wow, I never saw crops of corn like that driving out from Minneapolis yesterday. Just good to be in the house of the Lord and to renew fellowship with you. Uh, my compatriot is here with me, Joel Visanen. Joel and I have worked together this year, 50 years this year. 
It's our 50th anniversary. And uh, Joel, good to have you here. Joel has been here in the past, has ministered a couple of times. Uh, he's from Finland. His parents were from Finland. And uh, he ended up at Oral Roberts University, and we became friends. Uh, he lived across the hall from me. And every night, Joel would get up and, and do his push-ups and his sit-ups and all of his exercise. And all the rest of the guys learned how to count. <laughs> He'd do one, and we'd say, one, two, three, real loud, and Joel would keep on exercising. We all just enjoyed the fun. But uh, here we are, and God has been faithful. Fifty years is a long time. And uh, right now, I'd just like to give you a heads up on some of the things we're doing. Uh, we're involved a lot overseas, Joel told me. Uh, just before I came up here, when you saw the Bibles being distributed in, in Iran, uh, we told the Lord some years back that we were going to put 100,000 Bibles on the ground in Iran. And we crossed that 100,000 figure uh, this year, 100,000 Bibles inside of Iran, the greatest, the greatest revival in the Middle East by far is Iran. There are people coming to Jesus in Iran that are, it's just overwhelming. And I mean, there are millions of believers there. People don't know what God is doing because it has to be quiet. Everything in Iran is, is uh, secret, as you know. But uh, we're there, and God has blessed in many ways. I want to mention the fact that uh, we are in Iraq. Joel and I were in Iraq about, I think it was, what, four or five meeting with the Prime Minister of Kurdistan. And I was meeting, I had gone over on behalf of Oral Roberts University. And uh, we had been instructed to ask the Prime Minister of Kurdistan if he would give property and give... Uh, foundation of uh, support from the government of Kurdistan to build an ORU campus in a Muslim nation. And the prime minister said yes. Uh, I don't know. I don't know the details of that yet. I'm going to meet with President Billy Wilson on Wednesday this week, and uh, we'll be talking about the plans going forward. But I would ask you to pray. We're asking for favor from the Lord. How many of you know only the Lord can put together stuff like this? And uh, I, am, I was honored to be invited to do it and to be a part of it. Uh, on our last trip in Iraq, we also talked to the prime minister about creating a safe haven for Christians in Kurdistan. It would be the only place in the Middle East in a Muslim nation where Christians are protected and their faith is honored by the government. And we're dealing with that. We're on our way soon back to Iraq to help construct the Constitution that gives Christians full rights in their society. So that's another good thing that God is doing. Uh, thank you for your prayers. Uh, I, when, when we travel, and I'm traveling all the time, we represent you. When you support us like you have done so faithfully for... I think we're saying 30 years, so it's a long time. 
I can't remember 30 years ago, but I guess it was there so, well, sometime or another. So uh, anyway, God is good, and he's blessing us. And uh, we're here to say thank you. And you've seen a little bit on the screen this morning of what the Lord is doing. Uh, God is good. I mean, Joel was with me about 16, 17 months ago in Iraq when there was an attempted assassination attempt against us. Uh, I had taken 13 pastors from Canada, the United States, and the UK, and we were ministering and trying to speak to Christian uh, denominational leaders. I'm talking Catholic, Orthodox, uh, Aramaic, uh, all the various people, and to talk about a, a way to create a constitution with safe haven. And uh, God blessed us as we met leaders. We were on our way to Mosul. Mosul, as most of you know, is the heart of ISIS. It's where ISIS was born. And it exploded throughout the Middle East from the city of Mosul. Uh, we were, what was it, Joe, maybe two miles outside of Mosul. We were close. We were coming in with pastors and leaders from this part of the world. And uh, there was an assassination attempt against us at the border. I think I told this to you perhaps the last time I was here, but I don't think, I probably missed being here last year. I was having some trouble with illness, but God has touched us and made us well, and we're uh, rejoicing in that. But um, there would be maybe, I'm just estimating, 100 to 200 young Iranians that uh, stopped us at a border crossing, and they all carried AK-47 machine guns. Uh, they fired at least, and this is conservative in my mind, probably 100 to 200 shells. AK-47 shells were shot in the air over our cars. We were, as the guests of the prime minister, we were staying uh, with him in a hotel in uh, uh, Erbil, and uh, we had no idea what to do. Uh, my brother-in-law, who is a bit of a joker, said, uh, Terry, have you ever seen anything like this happen in Iraq on your trips before? I said, no, I never have. He said, well, if they open the, sh the guns on the cars, he said, I'm going to lay down on the floor, and I want you to get, lay on top of me and protect me from the, from the weapons. That was my brother-in-law. <clears throat> Why my sister ever married him, I'll never know. I've been trying to figure that out down through the years. They had a 55th wedding anniversary yesterday, so uh, I was celebrating with them on the, on the phone. But God kept us safe. Uh, we came through it. The prime minister called uh, leadership in the, uh, in the terrace. And, uh, I mean, you're looking out the window of a car, and you've got a kid standing in, in, right in your face, and he's shooting an M an AK-47, just missing the top of your uh, of, of the car and uh, firing 100, 200 shells. I was watching one guy and the, and the, uh, the shells, the machine gun shells coming out of the magazine on his rifle were slapping against the, uh, the window in, in the car. Uh, how many of you know I'm glad to be here this morning? And uh, Joel has seen some things like this with me over the years. But thank you for your prayers and your support. It's good to be able to come back. I grew up in a community about your size, 
quite small, actually. My father pastored a church about half the size of this one. And so I'm going back to my roots by being here. I enjoy uh, farm country, grew up that way. And I've been a cowboy for Jesus over the years. And uh, God is good. Um, I want to talk to you this morning on a subject that God has put on my heart. And when I say God has put on, on my heart, he has. And I want to tell you a little bit of, uh, of a text that God gave me many years ago when we had a, a, a very difficult time in our ministry. I felt that God was probably calling me to quit being a preacher. I came very close to stopping everything and leaving. And I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about that. But uh, I have written a book, and I want to announce that I understand we didn't, the office didn't send any with us today, so uh, you can order this book if you want. It's called Storm Chaser. It's, uh, that st how many of you know Storm Chaser is an Oklahoma expression? Uh, we have lots of tornadoes down there, so we have storm chasers that go and get the news for us. But we've taken that name and pressed it into service for the Lord. We're chasing storms for Jesus uh, all around the world, especially in the closed nations. And God has been very faithful and protecting to us. And I'm very grateful for that. But I want to read you a text and turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Matthew, chapter 15. I'm going to read these words. It's a, a great story, Matthew, chapter 15, verse 21. And here's how it reads. And going away from there, Jesus withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman who was a Canaanite. In other words, this lady was from Tyre and Sidon. And she came out and she started to make a lot of noise. And with a loud I'm reading from the, the Amplified Bible. And with a, a loud, trump, troublesomely urgent cry, she begged, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. She used an unusual word. She called Jesus Messiah. The only phrase that was used for Jesus that referred to his being the Messiah, the son of God, was the phrase the son of David. When she calls him the son of David, she's already taken a position of faith. O Lord, son of David, my daughter is miserably, distressingly, and cruelly possessed by a demon. And the next verse is a shocker. The Bible says, and Jesus did not answer her a word. I'd like to talk to you this morning, if I may, for the next few moments, on the silence of God. I will guarantee that everyone in this room has had moments in your own life when things happened to you, storms came, difficulty, whatever, and you cried out to the Lord and you didn't hear anything right away. How many have had that happen? It happens to me fairly regularly. I'm the only spiritual one here this morning. Nobody else is putting their hand up. But it, it, it does happen. It happens a lot. The text says it very simply, Jesus did not answer her a word. That's rude, especially for Jesus. And why he didn't talk to the woman 
is a real study, and I, I, that's where I, I want to pursue this morning. And his disciples came, and they implored him, saying, send her away, for she is crying out after us. He's got 12 campaign organizers called disciples, and they're all trying to organize him and to take care of his crusade. And they're telling, let's get out of here. This woman's taking too much time and too much noise. Uh, we need to be doing something else. And they implored Jesus. But Jesus answered. And he said to the women, not to the disciples. He said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I am sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus is telling the woman, that he has not been sent to her primarily. She's a Syrophoenician. She is not Jewish. And he's telling her and pointing out the fact that she's not a Jew. And he has come to the Jewish people with a message from God. Everything that happens in this conversation sets out the fact that Jesus is challenging the faith of the woman. And I want to suggest that in her life, she's going, going through a storm. How many of you know the Bible talks a lot about storms? And various words are used in the Bible for a storm. Let me give a, a few words that really mean storm when you're reading the biblical text, especially in the New Testament. The word tribulation can mean storm. The word trial can mean storm, test. Storm problems, storm adversity, storms suffering, storms temptation, hardships, afflictions, ordeals, distress, difficulty, hard times, fiery trial, disappointment. Any one of those words can mean storms. And that ties up pretty much and wraps up pretty much everything that life brings to you and me. But how is Jesus trying to direct this woman in her face? He didn't answer her a word. That was the first statement. The second statement is, I'm sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And uh, she just came and kneeling, worshipped him, and kept praying, Lord, help me. There's something powerful about this story. This woman's heart is broken. She's got a daughter at home who's vexed with a demon. That's a horrible situation. Her life is tied up with taking care of that daughter, and yet there's no way she can control the spirits and the demons that are uh, taking a hold of her daughter. And she came to Jesus, and she says a beautiful thing. She worshiped him, and she said, Truth, Lord, it's not right, proper, or becoming, or fair to take the children's bread and to cast it to John. Are you aware this is the only place in the Bible that uses the term the children's bread? And Jesus says, it's not fit to take the children's bread and to give it to dogs. That's another insult. But I want you to think about that phrase. Where else do you hear it in the Bible? Healing, casting out of demons, Supernatural aspects of ministry is always called 
children's bread. Do you know that your bread is the healing that you need this morning? The children's bread is what God can provide for you and me in whatever particular storm we are facing today. The storms are for reasons, and I want to talk about that a little bit. It's so important to see this. And the woman said to Jesus, yes, I know. Even the little puppies, the little whelps, the Bible calls them, eat the crumbs that fall from the young master's table. Then Jesus answered her. It's the only time in the New Testament he says this to anybody. The only other person he said it to was the the centurion soldier. He said to him, Oh, soldier, great is your faith. I have not found such great faith, no, not in all Israel. This time, a second time, he says to the woman, Be it done for you as you wish. And her daughter was made whole from that one moment. In that one moment, immediately the power of God went from Jesus to that daughter, wherever the daughter was, and she was healed by the power of God instantly. I want to suggest to you something this morning that I have noticed in my own life over the years, and that is that sometimes difficult times come. What we are asked by God to do in those difficult times will sort out where our own faith is. And I'll tell you, sometimes things are really tough. I remember when I lost my first wife in a car accident. I was in England, and Jan was killed. I had three children. I had to fly home to Tulsa. Joel was a part of that. The ministry was a part of that. Our, our hearts were all broken. I had to sit down with my kids. My oldest daughter, Misty, said, Dad... Why did it have to happen to my mom? Why did it have to happen to my mommy? What do you say to a child whose heart is broken and your own wife has come to the end of the line and she's gone? How do you handle that? What, what do you say? And I tried to say to, to Misty, I said, there's a promise in the Bible that says no temptation has taken you much as such as, as is common to man. But God will, with the temptation, make a way of escape. God is making a way of escape for us in many areas of our lives. And I don't know what particular storm you're facing, but I would suggest to you that when you use these various words in the Bible and you come across them like tribulation, test, problems, adversity, suffering, temptation, hardships, afflictions, ordeals, disappointments, fiery trials. You're talking about storms. And I would suggest to you this morning that the Bible has a theology of storms. I, I don't know if you've ever looked at it or, or tried to sort it out. Listen to these words out of James chapter 1, verse 2. James says, My brethren, count it all joy, when you fall into various trials. What does that mean? He's saying, count it all joy when you fall into various storms. How many of you 
I'll speak to myself, how many of me deals with joy when we look at the trials and the difficulties in, in the tribulations in life. These things happen to us. We have to deal with it. And I had to somehow try to reach the level of my, my daughter's faith and try to explain why her mommy had been taken away in the prime of life. No easy answer for that. But I've known it and I've watched it in my life. Storms have come. I've tried to serve the Lord to the best of my ability. But I remember after Jan died and I was in England when it happened, I had to get on an airline in London to fly back to Dallas. And my friend David Weir was with me. David was in charge of our European operation at that time. And I was heartbroken. I couldn't stop crying on the airplane. And they moved me into a certain area of first class where I could be quiet and to myself. I thought my ministry was done. I thought it was over. And I've thought that various times when difficulties come, when the storms overtake us. But let me continue what James says here. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various storms, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Anybody here need patience this morning? I know my wife needs patience, but she's not here to answer for herself, so I can say it to blame it on her from a long distance. But uh, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect worth, worth, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Here's another verse, Romans 5. Not only that, but we also glory in tribulation. We glory in storms, Paul says. Now, that's a little bit of advanced Christianity for most of us. I don't rejoice in storms. I don't think you do either. We'd sooner flee. We'd sooner they have happen to somebody else. But the Bible says, hey, you're going to have trials. You're going to have tribulations. And knowing that your tribulation or your storm will produce perseverance, and perseverance will produce character, and character will produce hope. I've been on the road for 50 years now preaching God's Word, and I can tell you one thing for sure. You never get done with trials. You never get done with storms. There's always a new one coming from a new direction. And it's important, very important, that we be prepared for these storms when they come. The writer says, now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given to us. Let me read another verse, and this is one you know well, you've heard it preached on. Matthew chapter 7, the parable. Therefore, whosoever hears these sayings of mine, Jesus is telling the story and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain descended. What happens in Minnesota when the rain descends? What do you call it? Storm. When the rain descends, the floods come, the winds blow. This is all a part 
of going through storms, and yet the Bible warns us it's going to happen. And he says, to, and let, let me say this to you as a congregation this morning, there are hearers and there are doers in your church. You're all listening to me right now. God is calling each one of us to be a doer and not just a hearer because it's so much easier to be a hearer and say, yeah, cluck our tongue a little bit. We see someone going through great difficulty. Usually we're glad it's not us. But at the same time, uh, the Bible promises us that those times are coming. Let me continue this parable. And the winds came and blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The same thing happens to the wise man that happened to the foolish man. Same thing. The Bible says the rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on the house, and it fell, and it was a great fall. Let me suggest something about storms. I've studied this a bit. In fact, this is the, the basis of, of, of this book. This book is my storms, and uh, there's a lot of them in here, a lot of pain. I would suggest, I apologize we were not able to, uh, the, our books were not sent along with us on this trip. If you'd like to get the book, it's called Storm Chaser. Um, uh, you can uh, take a note from our book table back there and, and send us a request. We'd be glad to send it to you. But let me talk about storms for a moment. There are external storms and there are internal storms, and they are different. An external storm will often be a job, losing a job, marriage relationships, uh, financial struggles. It comes in various ways. Physical disease can be a storm, a major storm. And I think we all recognize that. And these storms result because we're born in a fallen world. The other kind of storms you're facing are inner storms. Anger, bitterness when people do something bad to you, when you're hurt maybe by a spouse or by a loved one. Heartaches come. I remember when the hurricane hit Moore, Oklahoma, back, I think it was about five years ago, Joel, and we had a horrific tornado come through Oklahoma City. It was a, a mile wide, just destroyed everything. My wife Barbara and I drove down shortly after just to look at the devastation. And in the middle of the horror of that tornado, one guy had put a sign up on his destroyed house. And it said, God is good. Tears sprung to my eyes as I saw that sign. God is good. They've been wiped out. Their home is gone. Everything has fallen into a, a, a horrible mess. And yet he's willing to announce to everyone that drove by his home, God is good. Would you say praise the Lord for that this morning? There are times to say God is good. 
there was another house in that same tornado, and the guy had written a sign advertising his house. He said, double bedroom, double bath bathroom, and an open floor plan. <laughs> they were offering, only Oklahoma humor could have brought something like that to advertise. But there's fear often as a storm in death. I don't know how close you are to death or have been, or maybe in a short time. I can tell you when we were in those cars and the bullets were flying, I thought to myself, this is probably the day I'm going home. God brought us through safely for his own reasons. But we kind of, the next day we sat and we decompressed and tried to tell each other what we all felt about it. And one of the main feelings among the men, the pastors, I remember my, uh, my friend Lyle saying, you know, the one thing I realized, he said, we came out of that alive. He said, it occurred to me that God is not done with me yet. And I said, amen. I think it said that to all of us. Those moments come and the storms come. Storms divide homes relationships and family, and many things. But it's important to note that it's not really the trials themselves or the storms that bring blessings, but it's what faithful people do in the storm. That's when you find out what you're made of. That's when you find out if you've got steel in your backbone. I remember Earl Roberts saying something to me when I was a young man. I was working with him in the ministry praying for the sick. And he said to me one day, Terry, do you want God to use you? And I looked at him, I said, yes, sir, I do with all my heart. He said, do you think you can stand or pay the price? I had no idea what he was saying. I didn't know that there would be trials hitting me so big, I just about went under. When my wife Jan was taken, and I had to face that. I never dreamed things like that would happen, not to Christians. Don't we have uh, a promise from God that we will be spared those things? Not always, because storms come. The rains fall, the winds blow, and the house that's built upon a rock will stand. I want to spend the rest of my time with you this morning telling you a story. I haven't told this story for 20 years, 25 years. But I was praying about this service over the weekend back home. My wife and I had a conversation one night. And I said, the Lord is talking to me to talk to you about the storms of life and the silence of God. What do you do when you cry out and there's no answer? It doesn't feel like God can even hear you. And it's patently unfair. You don't deserve this. I told the Lord a hundred times coming home from the UK when Jan was killed. Lord, I deserve better than this. I brought up all my brownie points before the Lord and pled them at the throne and said, I don't deserve this. But it didn't go away. 
I had to deal with it. I had to try to explain it to my children. And one of the greatest miracles of my life is that I have six kids, and they are all serving Jesus. That's the greatest testimony I have. I, I, that was not, I was not responsible for that. God took care of me in the middle of storms. And I'll say to you, no matter what it is you're facing, God is with you in the storm. And you better find him. And you better get your hand in his hand. Let me tell you my story. I grew up in Canada. Oral Roberts came for a crusade in the province of Alberta in the city of Edmonton in a hockey arena. I was working as a ranch hand, riding horses, branding cattle, hauling. I think that summer we hauled 14,000 hay bales. It was a big summer and a lot of work. And uh, when Oral came to preach in Edmonton, I begged my friend, a farmer, to let me go up and listen to the crusade. I did. I met a young man who was playing the organ for Oral Roberts. His name was Larry Dalton. I'd never heard a man flow on an organ or a, 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 a piano like Larry could. It was just beautiful to listen to. I went up to him and talked to him and when they were done rehearsing for the evening crusade, and he said, why don't you think about coming to a school in Tulsa, a new school called Roberts University? When I found out what it cost, there was no way in the world I could afford it. And I, uh, I just kind of signed it off in my own mind. But I went to ORU by the grace of God. I won't go into all the details. An angel appeared to a father in the middle of a wheat field in Alberta and told him that I was going to decide to go to ORU. And when I made up my mind to go, that he was to pay the bill. Every time I tell that story at ORU, everybody feels sorry for themselves because the angel didn't do it for them. <laughs> and I have to apologize, but there's no other way to tell it. I mean, that's the way it happened. When I got to ORU, I started traveling with Oral Roberts directly. And during my first semester, we formed a music group called Living Sound. Some of you remember Living Sound. We came here as a music group a long time ago, back in the 70s. We were here on several different occasions. And uh, we decided to have a, a concert, our first concert, in Kansas City. One of the young girls in our, in our team, father, was a pastor in Kansas City. And we went up for a one-weekend service. Sunday morning, as our music had come to an end, and I was sitting on the front row with my Bible. I walked up from the front row, and I stepped on the platform, the first stair on the platform. And a voice came thundering out of the back of the building. And the voice said these words, I have ordained you to go to the nations. There will come a time when you are homeless. Don't be afraid. I have called you to the nations as kings to conquer. I was smitten in my heart. Just, it was like it hit me on the shoulder, on the chest. 
and I knew that I'd heard from God. Little did I know that the man who spoke those words was a famous prophet in Kansas City. His name was Bob Jones. Some of you have heard of his ministry over the years. I didn't know he was in the service. I didn't know who spoke these words. But the Lord spoke in my heart that night driving home from Kansas City to, to Tulsa, to ORU, and the Lord said, I want you to go to Africa. first person I shared it with was Larry that night and again the next morning. And we decided that God was in it because we both heard the same word from the Lord. The next day we called our Living Sound group together and said we've made a decision. We think that God wants us to go as a ministry group to Africa. And we're preparing to go for a year. Now when you're young people in university... To say you're going somewhere for a year, that's taking a huge block of time out of someone's life. And we shared it with everyone in the team. There were 15 of us, 16 of us that went to Kansas City. 15 of the 16 said, we th think that God's in this. So let's prepare to go. So that summer, after that particular meeting, we did it in an itinerary tour around America and Canada, and we raised $18,000. In those days, in 69, that was a lot of money, a lot of money. And we saved the money for a missionary trip to Africa. That summer was one of the best summers I've ever had in my life. And uh, when everybody bought into the vision, we said, Let's raise the money. We toured. We went. I think that was pro probably the first year that we came here, 69. And uh, wow, the results were there. The income was there. We saved our money. We had nothing for personal use, just for uh, toothpaste and nylons and things like, like that for team members. And I remember when December the 15th came, in the summer, in the winter, our plan was to fly to Africa. And I'm going to tell you now exactly what happened, because this is when God taught me one of the most important lessons I've ever learned in my life, and I wanted to share that lesson with you at this moment. On the 15th of December, we launched for Africa. We had trouble with the South African government. South African government were afraid of American young people. In 1969, young people were taking the administration building and the library. They were, they were fighting with the campus officials and everything else. And the South Africans thought we were coming as terrorists to, to just scare people because they had an apartheid system in their own nation. And so when we landed... We, we made, I made up my mind we would fly to Rhodesia, immediately north of South Africa. Today it's called Zimbabwe. And the pastor there had invited me to come and to bring my team with him. I remember gathering at the back of the 747. We'd flown up from Portugal, and we're landing in Africa. And we all gathered. We had our team uh, outfits on. We gathered at the back of the plane to have a victory prayer and to thank God that finally 
we were coming to Africa after six months of planning. We walked off the airplane, and I heard somebody calling my name, Terry Law, Terry Law. I came down to the bottom of the steps, and I saw an immigration official, an official uniform on, and he walked over to me and said, are you Terry Law? I said, yes, sir. He said, are these the names of the people in your group? And I read the names. I was startled. I said, yes, that's everyone in my group. Where did you get these names? He said, I'm sorry I'm not here to explain or to give you any reasons, but I'm here to tell you because of our government of our nation, you cannot come into Rhodesia. We're going to put you on that airplane, and you're going to end up wherever that airplane ends up. I thought I would argue with the man. He, would have, he had no time to talk with me at all. We were forced back on that airplane. After traveling for six months, raising the money, the money had all been spent, the tickets were purchased, and now here we are in Africa, and they won't let us off the plane. We ended up in a little city on the uh, Indian Ocean called Baira, Mozambique. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know even where we were. I had to look at a world map to find out. And we were forced off the airplane in Baira, and they put us up in a, in a kind of a broken-down motel. We had no money to pay. We were not there on a schedule. All of our equipment, our musical equipment, and our vehicles and everything were in South Africa. And here we are across the border in Mozambique. And I had to go and beg a little police inspector every day to give us one more day in the country because they wanted to deport us and send us back to the United States. Talk about a dream blowing up in your face. It's impossible to describe for you what I felt. I felt that I had interpreted the voice of the Lord in the church. I thought it was God that had spoken, and I had responded to it, and I expected miracles, and here we were, thrown into a situation that, well, frankly, I didn't know what to do. We would gather for prayer sessions every day in the motel, and we fasted and prayed. Somebody else rebuked the devil. We did that very well, as, as all of us. We praised God for victory. We repented. We had communion services. We had everything we knew how to do to hear from heaven, and nothing happened. And finally, the little police inspector in the city, I had to go in, and he had the only little throne in Myra and beg another day. I came on this final day. It was a Thursday, and he said, I'm sorry. We are deporting you back to America. The plane will be leaving in the, in the evening time tomorrow evening. Be at the airport. You're on your way home. I remember, you remember Bo, Chase, or uh, uh, Joel, uh, Bo came up to me. He was a man who's been a pastor in the Assemblies of God Church doing a fantastic work. But Bo walked up to me. I was sitting on the aisle in the airplane. He said, Terry, we've given God everything. There's nothing more we can give him. He's let us down. 
I don't know if I will ever trust a word from God again because he's failed us. What do I say to my team member? I had no prize wise sayings. I didn't know what to do because my attitude was the same as his. And, uh, well, it was, a, it was a horrific time. On that flight back from Africa, we landed in New York City, the coldest winter in 99 years. All of our girls were draw, dressed in short sleeve cotton dresses. We had no clothing. They had a snowstorm hit uh, Kennedy Airport in New York when we arrived. Coldest winter in 99 years. Now you think that when something like this happens, God has missed it somewhere. You're crying out, but it's all quiet. There's no word. God doesn't say anything. And you're struggling with your own faith. You're struggling with how do I continue to do this and believe that God's called me when it's just blown up. Everything's blown up. We had some friends who helped us financially, and they paid for us to stay in a teen challenge center in Philadelphia. We were there to help counsel drug addicts. The problem is we needed more help than the drug addicts. And I remember one Saturday morning, we were told we had to be, they had a little chapel in, among the drug addicts at the Teen Challenge Center. And we came in and sat down. We were all, all of us in the room. I, I knew nobody there. I did not know the director or anybody else. But a pastor had shown up from Minneapolis. His name was Rodney Whittle. And he, the, the teen challenge director invited him to come up and, and say some words to the audience. And uh, he got up and came to, the, or came to the front, talked to the group, and I went absolutely stone cold. It was like he had read everything that had happened to us, and it was explaining why. Here's what he said. What do you do when you know God has called you? This, these are his words. What do you do when you know that God has called you? Yet it appears as though he's taking that calling away. What do you do when you pray? And there's only silence in return from Jesus. I was kneeling at the, I was just, had my head bowed at the back of the building. And boy, when he said those words, I jerked up and I looked. Larry was crying. Bo was crying. My wife was crying. Everyone was crying. And then he went on and said this. Even when God is completely silent, he is there still with you. And when it seems like he's broken all of his promises and revoked his calling, he will remain faithful to make your call a reality. Here it was, a prophetic word direct from heaven. We'd been asking for it. I had hoped it would come to us in Africa so we wouldn't have to fly home or fly back home and waste our tickets. Didn't come at the time that I wanted it to come, but here it was. 
Come to find out this man had just been baptized in the Holy Spirit. He was from the Evangelical Free Church, and he started a church of his own in Minneapolis. And uh, he was walking down the hall of his house, and the Spirit of God came on him. He found himself sitting on the floor in the hall, and the Holy Spirit said to him, I want you to go to Philadelphia. He didn't know why he was going to Philadelphia. He had no understanding of any of this at all. When they arrived in Philadelphia, the only people they knew were, was one of the directors at Teen Challenge. So they called him up and said, we'd like to come and preach for you Saturday morning. This man stands up. He doesn't know who we are. We're in the midst of a bunch of drug addicts. And then he starts saying words like this. What do you do when you know that God's called you? What do you do when God is silent? And we're sitting there, and it's like electricity is going through my veins. And when he was done speaking, I walked to the front of the building, and I said, Sir, who told you about us? He said, Who are you? I said, Oh, I'm world-famous evangelist Terry Law. No, no I didn't say that. <laughs> uh, I, I said, uh, we're, I have a music group, and we've just returned from Africa, and we're here in the, in, the, uh, in the service. And he looked at me, and a strange look came into his eyes. He says, I've got a word for you from God. I want you to come into the back room. We walked into the back room. Everything was broken up. The ministry was gone. I was finished. Everything that I believed in had just blown up in my face. And he asked us the details of what had happened in Africa, why they wouldn't let us in. And then he said, I think we should pray. He bowed his head and began to pray. Then he looked up from the prayer. He pointed his finger across the, the, the little room we were in at me. He said, Terry Law, the Holy Ghost is telling me that you will be in Africa in seven days. I didn't know what to say. It was like I'd been slapped in the face. That week, I got two major phone calls. One was from the State Department in Africa, and they were calling to say they'd made a mistake, and they were inviting us to come back to Africa. And I had to say to the guy, to send some missionaries back to Africa with... And he was not amused. An hour later, I got a phone call from a pastor in California. He said, Terry, I've just called Swiss Air. They've heard about the story. And they've promised that they're going to give you free of charge all the tickets you need to get back to Africa and guarantee you a flight home from Africa when you're when your time in Africa is finished. How many of you know I had to repent? How many of you know that I, I was at the crux of a ministry that I thought I was done? I thought the Lord had forgotten me and, and, for, and it was over.
two months later in Africa. We were in a church 60 miles outside of Johannesburg. I'd gone into a prayer room behind the platform. The group was finishing its concert, and I was getting ready to come out and preach. Jesus came to me in that room. I was kneeling on the floor. I had my Bible on the floor in front of me, getting ready to preach. And the Lord said, I'm going to send you to the closed nations. You've gone through a difficult time, but you've remained faithful, and now I'm going to do things that you never believed would ever happen. And I'm here this morning, 50 years later, talking to you about things that I can only dream at Campus Vora Roberts University in Africa. How does that happen? I don't know. But I'll say to you that there are people listening to me now within the sound of my voice. Perhaps it's a calling from God that you've been wondering about. But I'll tell you as sure as I stand here this morning, God put this in my heart on Friday this week. I haven't preached on this subject for 20, 25 years. But there's people here that need to hear this word. And so I'm bringing it to you in the simplest way I know how. God's not done with you yet. There are things that God is planning for you that if you really understood them, they would blow your mind. The best things are ahead. The good things of God are coming. They've got your names on them. The Lord is saying, don't give up. Don't throw up your hands in despair and say that I don't care because I do care. It's been a 50-year walk, but I wouldn't change my life for anyone in this building or anyone in the world. God is good. Yes, Jesus heard a little woman praying about her daughter, her demon-possessed daughter. Yes, the Bible says Jesus sat there and he didn't answer a word. Why is that put in your Bible? Have you ever wondered about that? Jesus answered her not a word. He was rude in the natural sense. But he was testing her faith. And here's what God showed me. It's so simple, but it's so profound. Why doesn't God talk to you when you want him to? Why are there moments of silence when you're crying out and you need help and God doesn't say anything? You know why that happens? Because if God did talk to us every time we wanted him to, then faith would be unnecessary. And many times you have to go on what your faith tells you about your God. And you can't see it, but you've got to put your hand in the hand of the man and wait for him to talk. Would you say amen this morning?
I would say this to you as a congregation. You've been faithful to God for a lot of years. I've been coming here for 30 years, and the anointing is on this building and on your church just as it used to be when I came up here a long time ago. God is faithful. He's going to show you things that you've not seen yet. But I want to encourage you. God is silent because if he was not silent, faith for you and me would be unnecessary. And God, Jesus shows us in the illustration, God dealt through Jesus, dealt with that woman and her storm without an answer at first. He wouldn't answer a word. The next answer was, it's not fit to take the children's bread and throw it to dogs. She said, truth, Lord, but the puppies eat the crumbs that fall from the young master's table. Jesus looked at her and said, woman, I have not found faith like this anywhere in Israel. Great is your faith. God is looking for your faith. And the only time he could see it is in the midst of your pain and you're wondering why things are happening the way he, they are. Oh, no. <laughs> How many of you believe the best things are still coming? I believe that with all my heart. The best things are still coming. I'm not giving up. I, I will not retire. I'm 76 years of age, and I'm just moving now into the main thrust of my ministry. The goodness of God is beyond calculation. Why is God silent? If he wasn't silent, then you wouldn't have to believe him. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. For they that come to him must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we want you to have the glory from this time together. And I ask, Father, if there are people suffering, struggling with storms they don't understand, that you will speak faith, decisive faith to their heart right now. In Jesus' name, heads bowed, eyes closed. I suspect most of you people in this room are born again. You're serving the Lord. But I'd like to ask, how many here are facing silence? In certain areas of your life, you don't understand it. You don't know why it's happening, but it's there. And the Lord has spoken to your heart this morning. Would you lift your hands across the room if you're here? And God is doing that to you. Yes, I see hands raised all over this room. Hands raised everywhere. God bless you. Let me pray. Father, Your goodness is past finding out. There's no way we will totally understand what you're doing, and yet our lives are in your hand, and I'm praying now that you will minister peace and minister faith into the hearts of your children who have raised their hands in the middle of silence. And I ask that you bring your miracles to them 
and you do it soon. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord's been with us this morning. It's been an honor to be here to speak to you. God bless you. And Pastor, I'm going to turn it to you. And I want you to know that He can give you today a new future. We hope this message has been a blessing to your life. A copy of this message and additional Destiny Church materials are available at destinychurchexit77.org.